Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, it's just gone noon, midday Australian daylight time, which means that once again, it is time for the call. 10 stocks picked by you. We have two experts and we have one hour to get through them all. Today, it's Tuesday, the 21st of December, and I'm your host, Andrew Page. Thank you for joining me. So let's introduce our guests today, two of the industry's smartest. Uh, first, uh, a, a former partner in crime, Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. How are you going, Scott? Andrew, I'm very well. Thank you. Obviously, you had that scripted for you because you called me smart, which I appreciate, but I'll pass on my thanks to your producers. I assume that was them who wrote that. It's in the contract, so I, I, had, I had to do <laughs> Good it. Deal. And as you mentioned, we've known each other so long, uh, it's, we weren't wearing glasses at the time. So it's definitely been, it's definitely been a while. And uh, yeah, always, always yes. good to chat, mate. In fact, it Thanks, might mate. just be you and me for the first little bit because Mark is having some technical difficulties, but oh, he no, will right. join us as soon as he can, which means that you kind of have the floor to yourself, mate, uh, <laughs> as we kick off our stock of the day. And look, this is a stock that, or a company that has really dominated the headlines uh, all year. Um, there's no news out today, although I thought it might be a little bit noteworthy because it has hit a 52-week low. The stock I'm talking about here is Afterpay, down about 36% since Square, or now called Block, made that very big acquisition uh, play for them. What do you reckon of this? I mean, I, I know that you and I have talked about it a lot in the past, a company that mm -hmm. seems to just be doing a lot of things right, but, you know, the valuation was up there for a while. Is this just a consequence of block going down or is there something else there, do you think? No, it mostly is, mate, I think. And look, even that, that one third fall this year, it's down almost half, if you can believe it, from its 52-week high right. on the 10th of February this year, $158.47 a share. Now, as we talk, $81.45. So it's been a tough old ride for a, a, an afterpay shareholder. And it's fascinating. Even if you'd said back then, look, there's going to be this takeover. Square's going to pay a small fortune for the company. It's going to be great. And you're looking at it 12 months later going, man, how did that happen? Um, a couple of things worth remembering, of course, that takeovers can go badly. Uh, and so if you think about takeover offers and the way these things can play out, you'd be very careful with that. Second thing, as you say, it is absolutely largely about the Square share price fall. And so when, when Square did the deal with Afterpay, it didn't agree to pay a certain amount of money. It agreed to swap a certain number of Square shares for a certain number of Afterpay shares. And in the reality of that is... During that period of time, now if, you, if the deal had been done earlier, you still would have had the same loss because you would have had those square shares, but the square share price has fallen. And you can almost track both companies' share price. You can overlay the charts and see effectively from that takeover date, both companies moving in tandem. There is some concern as well that in the US, the regulator is looking at buy now, pay later companies like Afterpay. And to be <clears> honest, Square showed, you know, called this part of its growth strategy. So add those two together. Um, and there is some real concern about what is Square really worth? What is Afterpay worth to Square? in an environment where the Australian regulators kind of said, yeah, might be time to take another look, where the US regulators are saying, hey, we're going to have a look for the first time and see if everything's hunky-dory. So it's one of those situations where you're playing regulatory arbitrage, not even takeover arbitrage. Right now, you're looking at those company share prices and saying, well, if the future's brighter than it might be, if the regulators are kind, if growth continues, if everything goes back to normal. And there's a bit of, by the way, the online offline thing going on here too. Um, we've seen so many companies that people walk away from the online only, that call it Zoom or whatever you want to talk about, to, to the offline world, Square was kind of caught up in that as well. If the future is brighter for Square and Afterpay than it currently looks, this is going to be a good price. But you are taking a Square bet, a bet on Square as a combined entity right now, rather than Afterpay particularly. There is a small and frankly growing chance that, but still small, that Square and Afterpay break up. This takeover doesn't go ahead for one reason or another. May well be just the simply share price on Afterpay's side or from Square's perspective, some concern the regulator might get involved. It's really unlikely that it does get called off, but it's always possible you need to keep that in mind. But yeah, it's been a really, really tough ride for a deal that otherwise should have been all beer and Skittles. Afterpay share was unfortunately sitting on a, a decent loss right now if you bought shares only 11 or 12 months ago. 
Yes, true. Although if you did buy uh, earlier than that, it's hard to have too much sympathy because you've, you've, exactly. you've probably done pretty well overall. <laughs> That's right. Uh, what do you? And I guess another a good reminder too that you know you can overpay even for very high quality stocks. And I think that was uh, something that I was a little bit concerned about for a while there. Mark, what do you reckon? I've actually done the maths here. Basically, uh, afterpay shareholders get 0.375 of a block share. Work that out. Account for the FX difference, and it kind of gives you a share price of. $83 and the market just a little bit below that there. So it's pretty much banking that this thing's going to go through as, as a deal. And, and the rest is is up to squish uh, block share price and, and the FX rate. Anything else you'd add to that? Uh, well, obviously, from our point of view, Afterpay is not a company the team invest uh, would be interested in. Um, they lost $143 million last year, I think it was. Um, so their losses are increasing. Now, I know that doesn't mean much in the environment where it's a sexy glamour stock, and uh, yeah, people have, have been backing it. So I'm not I'm not arguing that people shouldn't have made money on it. But when the square uh, offer lob, I thought uh, afterpay shareholders were really lucky, you know, as in they were cashing in. But if we had a GFC type event now, which we will at some point, companies like this go go broke, you know, because they have they're basically they're burning money at a rate which is all very well when money's cheap and plentiful. But it's a high risk business, so I wouldn't suggest anybody buys it now on the speculation that it's at $80 it's cheap because there's no fundamental basis for that. And I think the regulator, uh, regulatory risk that uh, Scott was talking about is real. And I think it's highly unlikely the US will go, oh, yeah, that's OK, no worries, because they will be they will be being heavily lobbied by Visa, MasterCard and everybody else in the payments industry who goes, what's going on? These guys have got free for all. They can do whatever they like. And it's basically completely unregulated. And we, and we are drowning in regulation. So there's an arbitrage that they've taken advantage of. And quite frankly, I'm surprised they've got away with it as long as they have. Mm. I think sometimes in these uh, high-tech areas, it's better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission and sort of go the, the Uber model, uh, which has worked so, so far so well for Afterpay. And we could talk about it all hour, but we won't because lots of our viewers have written in with some, uh, let me say, some really great companies uh, today and really mixed it up a little bit. Mark, I'm going to start with you for the first one. Uh, and speaking of takeovers, this is, of course, the big thing here with this one. This is Sydney Airport. It's actually in the calls portfolio. Steph wants to know, is this a buy, hold or a sell? Uh-oh, I think I've lost Mark, so I'm going to go to you. Scott, are you still there? Throwing it to, I'm still here. If you're there, I'll we'll keep chatting. <laughs> um, Sydney Airport is a really interesting case right now, mate, because it's part way through, most of the way through, a takeover from a consortium of fund managers and superannuation funds. Now, I did some numbers for the show. I do a bit of research, trust me. Uh, $8.58 was the Sydney Airport share price not too long ago. The takeover bid is $8.75. That's a 1.9% premium to the current price. Now, if you're on one, on one lens, this is one of those, hey, a free 2%, who doesn't want that? On the other hand, look at Afterpay and say, you know what, sometimes those easy bets um, uh, you know, I don't know what was what, what the the premium or the discount was when Afterpay bid was announced, but you've lost meaningful amounts of money had you tried that arbitrage play at that point. Mm -hmm. I dislike immensely a takeover arbitrage. I think it's a smart sounding idea, but it's one of those cases where you'd be a little bit too smart for your own good. Um, there's, there's a phrase we use with options trading sometimes that we also be used with takeover arbitrage, like picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. <laughs> maybe there's a couple of cents to be made, or maybe you get run over. Um, is it likely? No, because the steamroll is slow and lumbering and whatever. But if it gets you, it's going to get you really good. So I, I think on this case, great business, love the business, uh, would, would happily uh, be one of the consortium owners of this business as a private company. But the reality is, given the 1.9% premium, all of the money is now gone. In fact, that 1.9%, even if you make it, is kind of effectively the time value, right? Between now yes. and when you finally get the money when the takeover goes through, yep. that's probably going to eat up those those returns. You can expect to get that sort of return on the market itself anyway. Mm. So not only is it not free money in terms of upside, but opportunity cost-wise, you, you're not being offered really anything at all. It's more certain the market could, of course, fall in the meantime. So th there's at least that, but um, it's just not worth buying to my mind. Love the business, would happily own it at a cheaper price. It would happily be one of the consortium owners. Wouldn't be trying to play silly buggers with the price on this one. Let it go, it's gone. I'll move on to greener pastures, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. really, is, is it really worth it for 1.9% to take that risk? And we know it's these really things not. can fall over, <laughs> unlikely, as right. you say. Mark, it's interesting though, welcome back. Uh, it's, it's interesting um, that this is now at a level which was par, almost bang on where it was before the pandemic first hit uh, our shores, at least in early 2020. 
What is it that this consortium of buyers knows that the market doesn't? It seems like a pretty, and, and COVID is still well and truly with us here in New South Wales, we're as high as we've ever been in numbers. Why is it that the market wasn't, didn't see the value, or where is the value being seen by this consortium that, that the market was missing, or, or is the consortium wrong? Well, uh, I have no idea what value they see because I can't see it. So uh, I agree with what uh, Scott said. Uh, the fact that the share price has gone back to uh, basically what it was before uh, COVID, I think, is uh, astounding. Now, bear in mind, uh, corporate travel and flight centre as well have uh, basically gone back to pre-COVID pricing as well. We're, whilst we're still not out of the woods yet by any means, there's no way the traffic volumes are anything like uh, back to normal yet. And it looks like it's going to take longer than we would have hoped. Um, so I can't see it. And so you're paying, you're basically paying a full value for a, uh, a company that um, has got a long way to go before it gets back to generating the returns that, that justify the original price before COVID. Mm. So I wouldn't go, I wouldn't touch it. Personally. Yeah, and this, the difference here too with um, Afterpay and Block, this is an all cash bid. Um, which is a little bit better, but yeah, geez, not much upside there. <laughs> you know, perhaps, on, on... Perhaps, Andrew, perhaps Andrew, what it is, is they figure they can do what Macquarie did originally when they did it, where they come in and then go, we're going to double all the rents and charge more for taxis. Ah, and, you know, yes. and, and maybe they've got a plan like that. Yes. yes. <laughs> Someone's got a spreadsheet somewhere that helps rationalize the decision. But uh, Steph, I hope that's helped you with your decision there. It's a pass from both of the gents and I'm going to I'm going to agree with them there. Um, let's talk uh, about one of the bluest of blue chip companies that is around. Mark, Washington H. Sol Pattinson is uh, an unusual business. There's not many others like it. I don't think any others like it on the ASX. It's one of these businesses you could probably say is relatively boring, although it's one of those few companies that has, like I think, at least 21 consecutive years of increasing dividends, 13% uh, compound annual growth rate for shareholders over a multi-decade kind of period. Um, seems like a really robust business, and yet it's down 25% in the, in the past few months. Is this a buying opportunity? Uh, well, we, we like um, Solpats, <clears throat> and as you said, it's had a fantastic track record of uh, creating wealth for its shareholders. In fact, I think they've got a history of not missing a dividend in 100 years, so even even through the Depression yeah. in the 30s, they still pay dividends, which is, you know, that, 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 yeah, that's not to be scoffed at, no. is it? So we had, uh, we had Robert Milner in um, earlier in the year uh, for a meeting with members in uh, Sydney. And he's, really, he's, he's very much old school. And this company, you could argue, is a little bit, it's a conglomerate, and it's a bit like Berkshire Hathaway in a way. Hmm. And, and they are very much Berkshire, a Buffett style, I think, is in the way they approach your investing. And they go, they're in for the long, long haul, um, and they're not, they're not going to do anything radical. It's very, very safe. Uh, they still have a significant investment in coal, which they were defensive of, which I'd have no problem with. And I think coal's going to do really, really well. Forget the ESG stuff. But as far as uh, the, the limit, it's, it, it, the demand is growing and supply is being curtailed. Let's put it that way. So they're not in any hurry to get out of coal from what he told us. Um, the only problem with it is the price. It's, it's Even though the price may have come down, it's actually on a PE at the moment of 25 times earnings. And that puts it at the very top of the red for what Solpat's normal trading range is. Because all companies have a PE range. And if you look at Solpat's historic range, it's been, you know, the highs have been 20 and the lows have been about going back a couple of, a few years, 10s. So let's say 10 to 20 uh, over the over the uh, years. And we're now current at the moment, it's right up at the all time, virtually all time high for peers. So it's too expensive. Now, what that does is it affects your return. So we're showing it returning about 13 percent, which coincidentally is what it's been its average return has been. Uh, on our default settings and a 2.3% on a margin of safety. So it's getting hit pretty hard because the PE is so high. So there's an assumption there that the PE would come back from 25 to sub 20. But look, it's a quality company. And I would say um, you, you can you can do much, much worse, obviously, and you could buy it now. Um, I would be wanting the PE to come back a bit personally. But I don't actually own it because Team Invest members typically own their own shares. We don't. This is a little bit like a portfolio, you know, so you, you're, you're betting on their selection and management of companies, which has been a good bet. So let's say that. Yeah, yeah. Very, very, uh, a very good <clears throat> bet. And um, yeah, very much like the management there. Scott, actually, we had the pleasure of having a few beers with Robert in uh, in, Berk we, in uh, Omaha at one of the Berkshire we meetings did. one time, which was a fun night. Um, but yeah, very down to earth, very old school, very uh, disciplined investor. Is it too expensive for you mm. too? 
mate, you say we had a fun night. It started at lunchtime, if you recall, but uh, oh, before he tells the story of the day, uh, we, Robert and Tom and, and a couple of other guys from, from Sol Pats, or it might have been even from... Uh, Brickware, BK, what was it, BKW Investment Manager, whatever it used to be called. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah look, and this is the thing, that to, to, to Mark's point, they are not only like Berkshire, they literally go to the Berkshire AGM. They're kind of steeped in that Buffett-esque value investing. I'm a shareholder, as you know, mate. I've been a long-term shareholder in both, oh, long-term shareholder in Salt Pats, a more recent shareholder in Brickworks. Um, the two have, of course, a cross-shareholding, so they're not exactly the same business, but, but close enough. They are uh, kissing cousins, if, if nothing else. It's a business that I, I, I like a lot. I think if you look at, you've already mentioned the long-term numbers, and the last set of numbers they put out, I think might have been August-ish, uh, September. They had beaten the market over one, three, five, ten, and fifteen years, mm. and frankly, that's good enough for me. It's good enough for most people. They they are value investors, and value investing is not particularly cool right now. Um, but they do a whole lot of stuff. They've got an equity portfolio. They have very large controlling interests in some businesses. They own a whole lot of other stuff in house. There's in-house property trust, in-house legal team, and a whole lot of other stuff going on there as well. So they kind of they, they do represent Berkshire a little bit, not the insurance operations, of course, and that's a huge differentiator for Berkshire, but a great asset manager and a super second oldest company in the. ASX. Um, it, the Mark's right. They, they are a conglomerate in and of themselves. They are their own mini portfolio. I've said before in many places, if you, if I, you know, if I had to put shares away for 10 years and come back, uh, Sol Pats and Berkshire would probably be the only two I would do that with because someone else is managing the store, right? And both businesses, because they're conglomerates, have the opportunity to use that capital to buy, to sell, to diversify, to do what they think is best. They won't always beat the market. The current price isn't spectacularly cheap. Um, but I have to say, we've recommended it relatively recently for some of our members in one of our services. Um, I bought some uh, Brickworks recently. I think Brickworks is a little bit cheaper than Solpats for what it's worth. Not a unique, not a, not a nickel business, by the way. So take into account the brick business and the, the operating business of Brickworks, not just the cross shareholding. But I like them both. I'd happily buy them now. I'd be very, very surprised if it's not a long-term outperformer. Uh, I think five-year plus holding period, happily buy share Solpats today. Yeah, very, very few bottom draw kind of stocks, but I think Washington yeah. Solpat certainly fits into that category pretty neatly. Um, let's go to another really phenomenal company, probably one of the best companies on the ASX. It certainly delivered a lot for shareholders. Yvonne, wanting to know about CSL, Scott, um, it has, this is a very, very large company, and yet it still managed to double its per share earnings in the last five years. Uh, it's ostensibly expensive, PE's up around 40, but then that has been the lament for shareholders or for investors forever. And I think anytime mm -hmm. you're wanting to be a little bit too picky on that, all it's meant is, it meant is that you've missed out. Now things have come back with the Vifor acquisition, $16.4 billion, absolutely monster uh, uh, move here into renal and kidney disease, iron deficiency, that kind of stuff. Does that make it interesting for you, Scott? Do you think this is something that, that Yvonne should take a closer look at? Uh, mate, CSL is my humble pie stock. As you as you rightly suggested, it is the one that I've missed out over my entire investing career. I've never owned the shares. Much to my eternal chagrin, particularly looking backwards, right? It always looked expensive at the time. I always gave it a miss and always regretted it. Um, the challenge for me for CSL as an investment advisor is... The track record has been spectacular. I would never tell anyone to sell CSL or get out of CSL. The challenge for me when it comes to this business, and the Vifor acquisition you mentioned, is kind of an example of what I'm going to say, although it doesn't necessarily suggest that it can't beat the market from here. But if you've got to look at CSL and say, my goodness, it is so big. It has been growing for so long. It is so incredibly dominant. And then if someone said to me, okay, well, you're saying I should buy the stock. What, where does the growth come from? And, and ever-increasing dollar value of growth year after year after year. Um, it's already dominant. It's going to have to come up with new treatments, new uh, products, new vaccines, uh, new blood plasma products, as I said, new ways of getting access to new markets. And you've got to try and, try and work out what that looks like. Now, you can just simply say it's always been great. It continues to be great. I think it'll keep being great. And that would be a very reasonable way to go about it. But if someone said, you know, I recommended I got it wrong and said, why were you wrong? What did you assume? And I said, well, I just thought it would keep being great. It's never quite passed that, that kind of filter for me. So it's one of those situations where I would never bet against it. It's like Macquarie. You never bet against it because there are some super smart people best in the business in their respective trades trying to make money for shareholders, in this case for CSL, helping people actually get better and lead better lives too, which is kind of nice. Um, but I just I, I really struggle. If you have to go out X number of years and say a PE of 40 assumes growth of double-digit rates for an extended period of time, even just to get fair value, let alone beat the market because either the PE contracts or there still remains in 5, 10, 15 years massive amounts of compound growth ahead of it. I just can't see that story, mate. I can't see through that veil of darkness clearly enough to really know that I know that I know or that I think 
that CSL is a market beater with a P of 40. If it was half the size, a quarter of the size, a tenth of the size, you'd say, well, big market opportunity, big opportunity to take market share, invent new products, do new things. Can it really add billions of dollars of revenue and profit every single year from here out to keep that profit growth enough to justify the PE? I just can't see it. And I'm not saying it can't. I just can't see, I, I can't do with any confidence how it will or where that will come from. If I can't do that, I just have to give it a miss. I can't in any good conscience say, ah, who knows, just give it a go. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to I'm gonna say it's a hold for me. I wouldn't sell it if I owned it, but I honestly can't in good conscience say to people, go and buy it because hopefully maybe it'll keep doing what it's always done. You know full well my Coca-Cola Amatil story where I got all the quality stuff right and forgot that, I just didn't forget, but just didn't take enough allowance for the fact that the growth was done. There was a Coke bottle in every drinks fridge, in every service station, cafe, corner store, supermarket, literally in the country. Where was the growth going to come from? And mm. I hadn't adequately, I'd done the quality stuff and that's the CSL story, super high quality business. But where does the growth come from? In Coke's case, it was tapped out and the growth was never going to come. CSL's case, there will be some growth. Is it enough to justify a P of 40? I just don't know. Yeah, Mark, it's always about, I mean, that mantra for us all should be quality plus value. So I think we're probably all on the same page in terms of quality. Do you agree with Scott though? Or do you think there's, there's an opportunity here? Uh, I think I think it's not too bad actually. It's it's at the low end of the black for us, which means it's about thirty percent on its range of its PE. So the PE's have actually been higher, even though I'm not saying forty is not a high PE, but relatively in the market it's not that bad. It's thirty eight at the moment. If you compare that to Cochlear, I think Cochlear is on fifty eight. Hmm. Now Cochlear is um is a also another champion Australian global leading company, but is a much narrower, largely a single product business compared to CSL, which is becoming more and more. Uh, diversified as, as it spreads its wings into different areas of uh, of uh, biotech and so on. I actually think it's 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 got good value at the moment, and we're showing uh, CSL returning about 19% a year going forward. Now remember, CSL has generated well over 20% compound returns since listing. So I, I sort of get what Scott's saying, mm. and it's a 124 billion dollar uh, market cap company. But on the global stage, that's not that big. I mean, it's big, but it's and it's a global, uh, a glo seriously, it's a global player. Uh, their net profit margin is still 24%, which is incredibly high. And it earned 3.3 billion last year on sales of 13 billion, 13.7 billion. Personally, I think they can keep growing at this rate because they've got a lot of tailwinds with the developing world coming up, the, the aging populations. There's so many things that are going to drive uh, sales growth for CSL, and they've been very good at managing their business and, and continuing the profitability. So I'm gonna say it's a buy. Okay, that's a buy. All right, let's move on. I'm gonna stick with you, Mark. I'm interested to know if actually you've come across this company before because I feel as though it probably ticks a few of the boxes from a Team Invest uh, perspective. The company is Supply Network Limited. SNL is the code here. Uh, probably an easy way to think about this is like a BAPCOR, but for trucks and buses. So they do aftermarket parts to the commercial vehicle industry. Uh, they operate under the multi-spares brand. Shares have done really well, up about five-fold in the last five years or so. Big inside ownership. I really like it. I don't know why I don't, I don't own it. Is, is there a reason that, I, that, I'm, that I'm not thinking about here, Mark? <laughs> well, no, no, we have looked at it. Uh, their debt's a bit high for us. It's, it's over... 80% debt to equity, so it's a bit over our max. But the, the problem is it, the price. It, as you said, you pointed out, the share price has done very well over the last few years. And what's happened is the PE is expanded. It's currently on 32, trailing PE, 32 times, which mm. is pretty heavy. And if you look at their uh, EPS growth rate, it's actually, it has, it's been quite healthy. Now this, for the last six years, it's been growing at 20% a year, which is good. And they seem to have had a kick up through uh, COVID. So they've had a good COVID based on their uh, earnings results. So these guys do brakes and so on for, um, uh, you know, and, and spare parts, as you pointed out, for uh, trucks and buses and all those sorts of things. So it's a pretty reliable kind of business. And their, their profit margin, I would have thought, would be fairly low, but it's 8.5%, which is not bad. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I just would say that it's a bit expensive, and I would say a target price to get a minimum 10% return on a margin of safety would be uh, $8.07. It's currently 1078, so it's not that far away, but um, it's showing about 13% a year return on our modelling um, on default, and a safety is about 4%. So it's just a bit too expensive, but there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, I think probably valuation was was part of the reason that stayed my hand. They've also made the part of that debt's probably explained by the fact they made some really big investments to some of their logistics, warehousing stuff, and really ramped up for the next leg of growth. 
Um, what do you reckon, Scott? Is this something that's come across your desk before? It is, mate. It's one of those businesses that I think it, you mentioned before about quality plus value. And I think this is a really nice example of exactly that, where we're all agreeing on the quality element. Um, uh, I'm sure equity has been you know, 20 plus and almost 30 percent most of the last 10 years. Um, so that's a that's a pretty good sense that the business is doing something right. They're getting some reasonable levels of growth of earnings, which are actually also pretty good. The big watch out actually for me, mate, is that maybe I wonder how good things are. Or maybe they're too good. If you look at the if you look at the earnings, particularly on a per share basis over the last ten years, they've been growing slowly and steadily and really, really nicely. The last year's numbers were a huge, huge increase. They went from twenty three cents a share to thirty four cents a share, literally a fifty percent increase in profit. Now, if that's sustainable, this is cheap. <laughs> if it's not sustainable, then it gets sorry. If the growth is sustainable, then it's cheap. If it goes, if it stays at the current level, it's probably a bit expensive. And if it falls back at all, it gets even more expensive much more quickly. And so you've really got to kind of, you know, with any business, you're looking forward rather than backwards. But your question really is, is last year's number indicative of the future story? Is that growth going to be able to be sustained and hopefully growth continue from here? Or is there, is there something that's one-off about this? Either it's jumped to this level, it stays there, or it jumps to this level and maybe falls back a little bit. And all of a sudden, a PE of 32 times becomes 35, 38, 40, 45. And you start to ask yourself, well, how much do I really want to pay for a business if that profit growth isn't as sustainable as it otherwise might appear? And that's the big question for investors is, do you think it's good enough? I'm not prepared to pay 32 times earnings, particularly 32 times the earnings that just jumped 50% mm. on the off chance it's sustainable. I'm going to say off chance. I don't mean to be dismissive. I don't mean to be, even be critical. It may absolutely well be. But our job as investors is to work, think probabilistically. And if I'm paying a really high price for a really high level of profitability, hey, if you've done it for Apple, you made a fortune, right? If you've done it for Tesla, you made a fortune. There are, there are times when you can pay very, very high multiples and still make a fortune. I'm not saying supply network can't do that. But if you look at the business and say, how sure am I that the price is worth paying, that the earnings are sustainable? I don't know and I don't know in, in respectively or both at the same time. Um, I, don't, I can't pay 32 times earnings for a business like that, particularly one that doesn't seem to have obvious natural scale advantages like a software company or something else, right? More depots, more investment, as you say, in infrastructure and, and distribution. They'll start to pay off. Of course they will. Will that be enough? I just don't know. And this is not one I think that's obviously cheap enough to go for a buy. Yeah, all fair points, guys. I should have mentioned that was Brennan who sent that one in. So Brennan, probably one for a watch list. And, uh, mm. you know, ironically, as these things go, what you really want is a big price fall in the share price. But when you see that, you'll be less tempted to buy it, which is just, just how we are as human beings. But um, yeah, some very interesting comments there. Thanks, guys. Scott, we're going to stay with you. Here's our one and only minor for the uh, for the show. Um, although maybe maybe that's a little bit generous because as far as I can tell, they're not actually digging anything up. I'm talking about BBX Minerals. BBX is the code here. Minerals exploration in Brazil. What do you reckon? Mm. You know they've done a fantastic job growing, Andrew. They've grown wonderfully for a, a very 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 long time. In fact, they've actually grown. They've quadrupled over the last ten years. Are you talking about the show? I'm talking about. I talk about the check out career. And so it's been it's been a remarkable exercise in capital raising, which is great. And hope obviously springs eternal. Mm -hmm. But as you rightly point out, uh, these guys are hoping for some good stuff. And you know what? Sometimes that works, right? If you bought Fortescue shares at, at you know very, very early days, you've done spectacularly well. You think you're a genius, you think this mining caper is easy, and how hard can it be? Um, unfortunately, there are going to be dozens, literally dozens of companies who have tried to do the same thing and become the next something, the next Fortescue, and haven't quite yet been able to do the job. That's the case with BBX as it, as it currently stands. A fourfold increase in, in share count. Um, they want to try and find gold and copper in South America, particularly in Brazil. For all I know, they may well find it. And this is one of those situations, again, a little bit like Supply Network, although probably a little more jaundiced this time around. Um, you know, just because something is possible, doesn't mean you should invest in it, right? Someone wins Lotto every week, doesn't make Lotto a smart financial bet. And so if you think about investing in this sort of businesses, will somebody discover gold somewhere and make some money for investors? Yes, absolutely. Is it likely to be this company? No one knows, I don't know, you don't know. And the person who takes the punt and is right will think themselves a genius. Um, I don't see anything specific about BBX to suggest they are likely or more likely than the average bear to do well trying on this caper. I'm glad someone's doing it. We need more gold, we need more copper. Um, you know, it, the fact someone's prepared to fund this stuff is good for the rest of us. It's not necessarily good for my wallet or your wallet. I wouldn't be buying shares in this one. If I owned them, I'd sell and put my money somewhere else. I can imagine, Mark, you're not too far um, off, off base from what <laughs> Scott's saying. Share issue thing they've gone from 76 million to 437 million shares in 10 years and never made a cent. 
So, and as, as Scott said, they're not mining anything. So in other words, they have been great storytellers and their return on equity last year was negative 50%, which effectively means they burnt through 50% of the capital they had at that time in the last 12 months. So this company has survived for a decade plus on a story. And I would say this is a perfect example of an absolute capital killer. And if you were going to put money into this now and assume they're suddenly going to get it right and make money, make, make, by the way, finding something is not mining it and making a profit. You know, there's another, that's another whole... A box of, of challenges they have after that. Yeah, so they're not even they're not even at the stage where they've actually got proven reserves from what I could read. So um, I would absolutely sell it now for what you can get. Yep, yep. I think that makes a hell of a lot of sense. Well, that takes us to the halfway mark. Let's do a quick recap of what we've discussed so far today. We started off with uh, Afterpay, which hasn't had a great run of late. Uh, really, the the guys thinking there's not much point in uh, in buying this, uh, given what's happening uh, at the current stage. You're really buying shares in block that could move all over the place. Uh, uh, yep. So so pass on that one. Sydney airports. What a wonderful asset. But geez, the price is really up there. And uh, if things all go ahead, you might make a tiny, tiny little bit extra. And if not, you could lose a hell of a lot. So it's probably best to sort of take take the proverbial bird in the hand with that one, uh, Steph. Uh, Washington HSL Pattinson. Uh, everyone's in agreement. Just a wonderful uh, business. Uh, nothing to be critical of there. Um, for Mark, though, a little bit too expensive. For Scott, for a very long-term hold, it's uh, it's hard to go too wrong. CSL, another company where the quality is just fantastic. Uh, Mark likes it. Mark thinks it's, it could get some reasonable returns from here. For Scott's point of view, a little bit of concern over the valuation and, and whether, given its size, it can continue to grow at a rate which would justify the current multiple that it trades on. So that is a pass uh, from Scott. Let's uh, kick across to supply networks. Some interesting things about this business as well, but uh, you're looking at a price that is uh, reasonably high off what might be a bit of peak earnings, a bit of COVID boosted earnings, and that's sort of staying uh, the investors' hands at this point in time. BBX, not much to say uh, because they're not doing much and it's just, it's a hard pass if I could use that term from the gentleman. So let's have a look at our portfolio. Anyone who watches this show knows full well that we run a little portfolio here on the call. We've been doing it since the first of the financial, last financial year, and it's gone pretty well. Let's take a look at the performance over recent time frame, uh, up or down, I should say, a little bit over the past week and month. Financial year to date, we are in the black, 6.31%. Uh, let's have a look at what uh, that looks like since inception. That's exactly what you wanna see, isn't it? Bottom left to top right, long may that continue. Uh, what are some of the stocks that we've added recently? Uh, and let me just remind everyone here, to get added into the portfolio, we need a unanimous buy from both of our expert guests. We haven't had one of those today, so we're not adding, adding anything so far at least. But recently, Elmo Software, Vectian Technologies, Ebos Group, Adairs, Magellan Financial Group. Geez, that's, a, that's a, certainly in the news at the moment. Having an SMSF is hard? Well, think again. Set up your own SMSF completely online with Stake Super and invest your super with freedom. There's no paperwork and Stake does all the admin. You just focus on the investing. All right, let's kick on to the back five here of the call. We're gonna start out with a company that's called uh, AUB Group. These guys run an insurance broking network. And uh, that's not a business I think a lot of us as consumers would have a lot of direct contact with necessarily, but it has actually had a pretty good performance for shareholders. In fact, the dividend here uh, up every single year, at least over the last decade, which is as far back as I bothered to check, uh, Mark, what do you reckon about AUB Group? Uh, it's a company that we've known quite well over the years. I, I used to be a shareholder years ago. Um, the CEO changed about, I'm thinking two years ago, maybe less than that even, uh, who, who refocused the company on the core business. And the core business is they basically buy into or buy uh, insurance brokers. This is not retail. This is uh, pubs and business business brokers, if you like. And hmm. they do a lot in transport and, and insure... Uh, yeah, the semi-trailers and all those sorts of things. So it's a business, it's a business insurance business. And what they do is they provide the back-end infrastructure and management to, uh, and then absorb or buy into other brokerage firms. So they leverage, it's a bit like a pinnacle 
does in financial, these guys do in insurance, and they've been around for a long time. Um, the problem is that it's, um, uh, its P at the moment is uh, 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 35.6 on, on an EPS growth rate of about 7%. So uh, the problem with that, and sales are growing at about 5%, so they're on a PE that's too high to justify their EPS growth rate. Very reliable business. It's not going anywhere. We're still going to need insurance. So so yeah, it's, I think it's a good long-term business to hold. It's just way too expensive. So it's at the very top of the red. The consequence of that high uh, PE multiple is that we're showing a return of 1.2% a year for the next five years if you bought it at today's price. So good company, way, way overvalued. Mm, yeah, and um, maybe uh, some added considerations there too. If you're someone who thinks that inflation and interest rates uh, could be heading up as well, that's going to make those higher P's even more difficult to justify. Should that come to pass? And I guess we'll Absolutely. find out. What What do you reckon, Scott? Yeah, I really struggle to disagree with Mark. I'm trying to add some extra value because uh, he's nailed it exactly right. This is a quality business doing a pretty good job. It's a it's the sort of business you want to be in, right? Uh, you have people coming to you who don't know insurance. The, the amount of the number of policies, the number of insurers, the inclusions and exclusions, the rules are so incredibly complex. You want someone to take your problem away from you and you're happy to pay them a little bit or have the insurers pay them a little bit to, to make it go away, right? So you guys say, look, I've got a business. Here's what I do. Here's who I employ. Here are the risks I take. Here are my premises. Here's what I need to insure. Can you find me something? The broker goes away and does the work, finds your policy and they get paid for the privilege. It's a really nice model for those brokers. Um, very much like Pinnacle, uh, in terms of the brokering perspective, that's much more like a mortgage broker from the front end, Pinnacle from the back end in terms of the ownership structure. But the simple reality of, hey, I want a mortgage, I don't know what to go to, who do I go to? Now, mortgages are easy to compare or relatively easy. Insurance products are generally much harder, particularly business insurance. So it's a really nice business. And it's also a really nice business if you like the insurance space because you don't take any underwriting risk. They are literally just getting, they're clipping the ticket on the premiums being written. So when prices go up, you make some more money. If insurance claims are up, you don't pay any more out. It's a nice problem to have. And, and again, in, in that kind of rising premium environment, you're getting more money just shoveled at you because you're writing the same, same policies. So really good, but as Mark says, just very, very hard to imagine it can justify the PE of 30, I think I've got 30 times, um, based on, on that relatively mediocre level of growth. Fine level of growth, a good number, they're, they're running a good business there. And this is where we, you know, sometimes we kind of talk about the business as though the share price and the business are the same thing. Um, the company's doing its own thing, running its business, the, the investors, the rest of us, the market, set the price. And right now, it's a good business, it's just overpriced and it's not one I'd be buying today. Yeah, it seems like a bit of a theme today. I'm sure you guys both agree that, you know, there's a lot of great companies on the ASX. There's far fewer that sort of are great companies that are at great, great attractive prices, which makes it difficult. And those companies that are arguably at good prices are at good prices because there's a few hairs on them, which adds a further wrinkle and makes it, makes it always fun. Um, mm. We've talked about some pretty big names here today and some pretty successful businesses. I'm going to throw one out that's perhaps the opposite of that, although we're still probably uh, described as a blue chip Sorry, Maya shareholders, and sorry, Tully, if you own them, who sent the question in, but this has been a real dog's breakfast, hasn't it? Um, and, and this is a company whose per share earnings have been in a pretty steady decline for a long time. 21 cents per share they were making back in 2013, seven cents in uh, the last uh, full financial year. The PE is eight, but arguably, is that too high? Or am I just being, Scott, am I being way too harsh with this? <laughs> Always. But uh, in this case, justifiably, it, it's the, the, the chart is exactly what you want to see if it was entirely reversed. We don't like to see this slow, steady growth in earnings or fast, steady growth would be nice and better. But this kind of natural kind of incline, almost like a straight line. Maya is a perfectly straight line, but in reverse. Every year, it just gets a little bit worse. Now, until it should be noted this year. So it actually went from profit and then eventually the year before, last year went to a loss or the year before last. Last year actually made some money again for the first time in a very long time. And so you got this situation where you got investors thinking at this saying, hang on, it's 8.7 times earnings on my numbers. Uh, it's made a profit again. Maybe, just maybe, this is the resurgence of Maya. Maybe they've done the surgery that's needed. Maybe this business is one that's going to find a place for itself. And I'm not entirely sure it doesn't deserve a place in the retail landscape. The problem for Maya is there are simply too many stores. Now, if you think back to... I don't know, pre-Westfield, right? Go back to the 50s and 60s. The, the, the Maya, the DJs, the farmers, the Grace Brothers, depending on what state you're in, um, these, these were the shopping malls of their time. You'd go and get menswear and shoes and toys and books and perfume and whatever else you wanted. They, they literally, the department store was 
the department store which have all the different departments in it that's why it's called a department store mm. and, and you'd go you know my, my, my grandmother took me to town and you went to town and you went to grace brothers and you went shopping and you were there all day you mm. ate at their food court and then westfield comes along and says actually no we can do better than that we can turbocharge this we are the department store writ large which is now the shopping yeah. center and Meyer and DJs kind of just failed to keep up with that. And it's not even necessarily their fault because I don't know what else they would have realistically done to beat Westfield at their own game. Maybe they had their own shopping centres somehow. They have their own concessions already, so they're doing something like that. They just couldn't be better than Westfield. And so you think, well, even if I go to Westfield now, why would I go into a DJ's or a Meyer? Why not just go to the specialist clothing store or the bookshop or the, 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 you know, the, the makeup place? And so that's the real challenge for these guys. I think there is a place for them in really densely populated, either, either literally in terms of people living or working places. So I think the Burke Street stores, the Pitt Street stores in Sydney, these things will probably continue as long as they can be run cost effectively with the overheads that these guys have. Um, they will probably always be flagship stores. They'll probably always be profitable just on sheer footfall, sheer number of people going through the stores. But you can't afford to keep these in regional centers, in suburban centers. So mine has got more work to do to get smaller maybe at that point it's worth looking at and saying is there some investing value there and there may well be if the market hates it even after things start to turn around there's a great opportunity if you can find it at the right time and for all we know it might already be there but i just think there are too many stores there is too much in the way of headwinds i, don't, I haven't even talked about it online um so many headwinds facing these guys to try and become relevant they're a 1950s concept in 27 let's say 2020 2021 and going to 2022 mm -hmm. um they've got to try and catch up and keep up they haven't got <clears> there yet to my knowledge and I wouldn't be buying them on that basis. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Mark, what do you think? And I just, I'll put it out there. We've got 10 minutes left on show and I've, yeah, no, I've not Scott, been a good Scott, adjudicator, so <laughs> we need to move through these pretty quickly. Scott, Scott's been talking too long. <laughs> yeah, it's always, always the way. It's all my fault. Even, always though, my even, fault. Though, even though it's very wise commentary. I think he's got rose-colored glasses on looking at Myers. Meyer, he's way too positive about the potential. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's been losing its earnings per share. So when, when Scott's talking about the graph going straight down, he was talking about EPS, not share price. Mm. And the EPS is very, very stable at negative 17% a year. In other words, it's been going down at 17% a year every year. This is a company that's heading for bankruptcy, is what that is. Mm. Now, they've turned up in the last year after going down to zero. You can't see it in the share price. You need to look at the earnings. And they've had one year where it's ticked up. Is that a saviour moment? Maybe, but I think they're an obsolete concept. And as Scott explained, I won't repeat all that, and he's quite right. And Westfield and so on, and the specialty shops have taken away the reason why you have a department store because they're all in there anyway, and they all have bigger ranges than what Myra and David Jones have. So I think you're, it's a cigar butt investment. Uh, uh, Buffett used to call them cigar butts when they still had a little bit of life left in them. And if you could buy them cheaply enough that you made some money on the dividends, you know, you might get your, you make your money and some more. He doesn't do that. He hasn't done that sort of investing for 40 years. Mm. Uh, and that's what Myra is. It's a cigar butt. Yeah. So there you go, Tully. You might get a puff or two out of it, but uh, probably probably better smoking elsewhere if I can uh, torture the analogy. Uh, let's talk about Symbio Holdings. Chloe sent this one in. This is a former uh, MNF group, My MyNetPhone, internet-based telecommunications. Hasn't really had a great run of late, Mark, has it? No, 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 it hasn't. I'll, I'll declare that I've been a, an investor in this for about eight years, and it's done brilliantly well for me because I bought in, my average buy price is about, overall has been $1.38, nice. and it's currently about $7. And it's been a terrific business, but the last three or four years, three years particularly, has been quite flat because they've been re restructuring the business and pivoting to being wholesale. And what they do is these guys enable um, uh, Uber and Google and everyone to access our phone system and numbers and so on. So they're an integrator, if you like, into the local phone systems. So they've got all the big players, all the big US uh, companies use them in Australia, and they've just expanded into Singapore. Um, and they've already got, they said they'll be uh, cash flow uh, positive in second quarter next year from, from Singapore. And they're now aggressively expanding into Malaysia, Korea, Taiwan, and Japan as well. So this is a smallish company uh, on, in Australia, which has been, as I said, been flat for a while, but it used to generate um, a 30% EPS growth in its early days have now got rid of all the retail businesses and they're quite focused on what they're doing. I think it is really exciting. So I'm a very happy shareholder. Having said that, the market's recognising it as well and it's on a 48 PE and its current earnings are minus negative 1% a year over the last three years. So if you look at the graphs, you'd say, well, that's ridiculous. But there's enough people who have confidence in the business that they're going, what, what the last three years are, are not indicative to what the next five will be. 
So I'm not saying you should buy it now because you know, it doesn't look good at all at the current price. I'm definitely not selling, um, but I think it's got a very, very bright future. And, and uh, uh, I'm very optimistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And another great reminder as to why it pays to sort of go behind the numbers because there is a story there and, and some of those explanations will be very sensible. What do you reckon, Scott? Yeah, I don't mind MNF or Symbio, whatever it's called. It's, the business has been in the business of name changes, best I can tell, for quite a few years now. That's a long kind. But uh, a new, new name, Symbio. Look, I, I like the business. I like that it's a small, nimble company. I've always liked that they've kind of zigged and zagged to try and find opportunities. When you're little and nimble, you can kind of look around and go, hey, no one's doing that thing, or we can make some money doing that, or our technology and people can manage this thing. Let's try that. And it's been a really smart way to go. And this wholesale move, to Mark's point, is kind of the, the newer version of that. I'm a little bit in Mark's camp. Quality business, like the management, can't say recent track record's been spectacular. Um, a lot of expectation on where they're going next, as again, as Mark rightly points out. I don't have the same degree of confidence, but to be fair, I don't have the same degree of knowledge about the business. So it's one of those, if they manage to deliver on what they're trying to do, this will be great. If they don't, well, then you know, all bets are off and it's a different question. Um, they they have got, as I said, quality business. This is one of those, again, quality value conversations we had. I don't want to buy it at today's price. I probably also wouldn't buy it. I should have the same degree of confidence as Mark does until I see some ac some actual traction, some top and bottom line traction of the new strategy. But I would absolutely put it on my watch. So I'd actually probably happily pay more when I saw that traction at some future point um, rather than taking the, taking the odds now. I might well leave some money on the table in doing so. But um, for me, I, I like the company. I like what they're doing. I like the people. I'd happily back them to be successful. But before I put my money down, I want to see some of that come through in the financials. And then when I do, I'd reassess and probably, again, very possibly pay more than the today's price once we see that traction. All right, fair enough. Okay, guys, quick fire round. Ridley Corporation. Scott, I'm going to start with you. Oliver wants to know, this is animal nutrition. Is that a space that excites you? No, but that's exciting, right? Because you don't want to be excited by stocks all the time. You want to be excited by the potential returns. And so some of the most boring businesses, we talked about Soul Pats before, right? There is probably... Maybe there's, maybe there's a more boring business on the ASX, but if there is, I don't know what it is. And the returns have been excellent. We've had members in the past say, I don't want to buy salt pats, it's boring. I want something exciting. So well, guys, if you don't like money, that's okay. Um, so, so generally, Ridley, trading at 14 and a half times earnings, it's a pretty solid, stable business, can I say. And expect animal nutrition to be a, a brighter category moving forward, both domestic and stock. Um, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's both attractive areas. You're going to have a whole lot of seasonality there. If there's one thing advocating against a recommendation, it would be that right now, this is a business that's had a really good couple of years stock-wise. Uh, so you think about the, the, the amount of demand for its products, this may well in hindsight be a cyclical high, and this might be exactly the wrong time to buy. So bear that in mind. But at 14 and a half times earnings for a stable growing business, even though it's growing slowly and a little bit, you know, it's been a little bit volatile. Um, this is one I'd happily add to my portfolio. 14 and a half times earnings, not going to shoot the lights out, but I imagine it's probably a, a moderate market beater over the long term. Okay, that's a buy from Scott. Mark, do you agree? Uh, I'd say um, very quickly that it's okay. Um, it's a bit too expensive, even though the PE is only on 16. For them, that's high. It's in the top quartile. Um, for me to get a 10% return on it, I, would, I couldn't pay more than $1.04. So it's currently about $1.40. So it's a bit, bit expensive. Okay, fair enough. Okay, well, that brings us to the last one here. And this is an interesting one. RPM Global, R-U-L is the code here. And uh, Ravine has sent this one in. Consulting, engineering kind of services for miners. But the exciting part of the business is the software part, which is now more than 50% of revenues. Mark, is it something that's come across your desk before? Uh, well, I'm familiar with their Revolution race gear and stuff. I've used some of it. So I know some of the brands, but they're really all over the place. So there's lots of moving parts in this business, and yet it's quite small. Uh, the company, I think it's only uh, 37 million market cap. So, but there's lots of moving parts in it. Um, and as you said, they're, sort of, they're, they're shifting towards a, more of a software basis. And since 2019, their earnings have jumped up from a, a loss to uh, 37 cents, I think it is. So uh, sales, sorry, sales got 37 cents and, and, and earnings at two cents. So it's got no stability, it's been all over the shop. So this is one of those ones which I wouldn't look at until I saw some consistency in the new business model. Mm -hmm. So I'd have no interest in it at this stage. Okay, that's a pass from Mark. Scott, what do you think? Um, I mean, I know we're short of time. Uh, the company I think we're talking about is RPM Global rather than RPM Automotive. Um, Mark, I'm not sure whether your comments were related to the, uh, the automotive business. I just want to give you a chance to clarify yeah. if that was the case. So, sorry, that's the one I'm looking at. Do I put the wrong code up? Yeah. 
That, that's okay. That's, I just want—I just really clear for our viewers just to make sure that we didn't kind of mislead them either way. I was—I um, was quietly panicking here, Scott, thinking, "Geez, did they do that as well? I didn't realize." Okay. Yeah. No, I did, I did the same. But race gear. I've—I've I've done the wrong company. So let's do. Here's eleven companies on the call. Ten from Mark and ten from me. Nine are the same and two are different. Um, I'll go RPM Global. Funnily enough, Mark, your comments about moving business models is actually completely appropriate for RPM Global as well. Uh, so you, you're almost always at the same company. And yes, they're also losing money, right? So you're in this situation where they're going from a one-off license sale, which is the old style of software sales, to the software as a service move that everyone else is making. <clears throat> Thus far, at least, they're, they're doing a pretty good job. They are still in that kind of valley of uncertainty. They've gone from losing a really big, valuable upfront license sale, which everyone loves to see because, you know, show me the money. They're going to move to a really nice recurring business, land and expand, great software as a service model, but they're stuck in between right now. And that's actually making the financial look much worse than they should be. This is going to be when you have to have some faith with. There is no EPS to talk of. There is no earnings at all to talk of. You have to believe they're going to continue to make that transition. The early numbers are good. It's a buy for me, but you need to be mindful that it may not work out as well as we hope. And there may be stumbles along the way. But for me, RPM Global, R-U-L is the code on this one. I think it's a buy. Okay, nicely done. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, we will leave it there. Thank you uh, very much for your time. I hope you both have a great Christmas and I look forward to catching up with both of you in the new year. And Thank to you, you, you too and to your viewers. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, well, let's do a very quick summary of the back five there. We started with uh, AUB Group. Um, some positive things to say from both the gents. Just too expensive, that old chestnut. Maya, well, not much positive things to say there. It's really not worth going near in the view of the panel. Uh, Symbio Holdings, uh, this is actually a pretty decent business, uh, according to Mark. It's a hold from him. It was a pass uh, from Scott. Ridley uh, Corporation, these are the guys that do uh, nutrition uh, for, for animals, livestock essentially. Uh, an okay business uh, for Mark. He needed to see it get down to around 104 per share before he'd get interested. And Scott uh, acknowledging that while it might be a little bit uh, at peak earnings, given what uh, the farming environment has been like, um, he's still happy to take a little bit of a buy on that one. Uh, as for RPM Global, R-U-L being the code there, uh, that was a yes for Scott. Uh, Mark gave us a no, but that was on RPM Automotive. So there you go, bonus stock for today. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in. We've still got more shows coming for you this week. We're really looking forward to chewing the fat with some of the smartest players in the space. But until then, my name's Andrew Page and thanks for tuning in. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big